Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Everybody and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, feeling yes, good. How feeling about strong. You? The air is cleaner here. I it is feel now. I'm now. I feel like I'm breathing uh, guilt air. Oh, for not being outside? No, no. It's oh. for like now. Oh no, my air is clean. I'm going to go outside and breathe some, and I just feel like ugh. I can't stop thinking about the people who are still suffering through the misery. It's really hard. It's so, awful. Uh, our heart goes out to those who are still dealing with the fires and such because it's very much still a real thing. So, mm-hmm. we've uh, we've got uh, fantastic guests uh, on the show with us today. I cannot wait to talk to them. Diane Dempster and Elaine Taylor Klaus uh, from ImpactParents.com, formerly ImpactADHD.com, are here. They are wonderful coaches and community leaders and resources for the. ADHD. ADHD community. Uh, we're going to talk all about their rebranding from Impact ADHD to Impact Parents. And we're going to talk about uh, Elaine's new book, uh, Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. Can't wait to talk to them about that. It's going to be fantastic. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list right there on the homepage. We'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. Connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And if this show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better, we would deeply appreciate it if you'd head over to patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast and check it out. Patreon is listener supported podcasting with your support of a few bucks each month. Uh, we keep uh, growing this show covers costs costs of production, costs of hosting, all of the things that go into that, and uh, frankly, allows us to spend more time doing this show than doing our other jobs, which is really the important part of this whole equation, all of the math. It's all about trade-offs, and we would love to make more trade-offs for this show. And I want to thank uh, Nissa and Apollo and Miriam and Ileana and RK uh, and uh, Peter. (laughs) Go, Pete uh, and Marcos <laughs> for joining the community over the last week. We so appreciate you uh, jumping in and, uh, and and helping us continue to do this show. You guys are fantastic. Now, on that note, can we talk about this comment that has broken my heart? Yes. We got this comment on iTunes, and it was it was both thoughtful. And because it wasn't a one star, I tend to like one star reviews. We just I do my best to let them go. Of course, RSD rears its head and I can't let them go. So it's like weeks. I think about silly one star comments. But this person gave us a three star and said something that really got to me. Uh, And so the first is this is the title was disappointed. And the comment is thus. Do the speakers have ADHD? The advice seems as if it's forcing a creative person to be linear and structured. The advice sounds shaming, even if that wasn't the intent. I also didn't care for the criticism of educators in, quote, not preparing students in the way of organization. This can be up to the parent, too. Oh, my goodness. That got right to me because, first, if anything, I hope is clear, and I've gotten this comment before when people ask me, does Pete have ADHD? Pete has ADHD, and uh, it can get really gross sometimes, and I, I'm a 
I just regret that the advice sounded like it was coming from uh, somebody who was forcing a creative person to be linear and structured, because that was not the intention, um, particularly in the realm of educators in not preparing students in the way of organization. My observation is that is not a focus, certainly not a focus the way we have to live with being organized as adults and the expectations of uh, businesses and schools who have, you know, guides for be integrating. And uh, in so many cases, the expectations are not met by our experience in schools. And that is all we're trying to communicate. It's, it is hard to teach kids all the things they need. And I recognize that as absolutely how hard it is to be a teacher. But I, I stand by the comment that the expectations of, quote, being organized are not met at school. Whether or not they are met at home is something we're trying to help support, not shoot down what great teachers are doing every single day. Please keep doing what you're doing. And also, let's raise a flag for the, for the kinds of life skills that just aren't a focus as much anymore in the school system as they used to be. Can we, let's just acknowledge that if that's if that is a more fair assessment. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I want to say I do not have ADHD. I have a daughter who does. Um, I've worked with people with ADHD for many, many years. And um, and I hope, too, that even with someone who doesn't have ADHD, that I as a coach, as, an, as a trained certified coach, I would be able to um, help our listeners you know, work and, and accept their ADHD. And the shaming part, I think, is is the hardest part for me to kind of gravel because, oh boy, that's, that is the last thing that I would ever want anybody to walk away from with our show is to feel any kind of shame. I mean, I, I think the most important thing that I want people to walk away with is that they're not broken and it's okay to do things the way that you want to do them and how you do them. And it can be different from, a neurotypical, and it can be different from somebody who has ADHD, and there is no shame in that. Um, I think that when it comes to the educators not preparing students, they're talking about one show, and we were talking about you know planning and how to work with a planner, and and um, you know again, I I'm with you. I I it's not criticism of the educators. I think the teachers are amazing. They do so much more than. Um, they have to. I mean, they go above and beyond to to help our kids and teach our kids. Um, but I agree with you, Pete. I think that when it comes to um, some of the organizing pieces, it's not learned necessarily in school. But I absolutely agree with the with the uh, person who wrote this comment that it is also up to the parent. You bet. It is. It is a collaborative effort, and um, that is very much. Very, I, I agree with that too. Absolutely. And, and I can see, you know, thinking back about the, or about the conversation, we didn't bring that up. We didn't talk no, about the No, and that was all role. me. And I was on fire. Like, yeah. I was just, I was just using words and, uh, and I, I do regret that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I hope they know, I hope people know, you know, our intent is always in good faith. It is always, uh, in, in the inspiration of 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 motivating people, having people feel good and hope and love and joy and be able to work with these things and and not feel like um, they're shamed or broken in any way. I you know I'm not probably saying this correctly, but you sound great. That's just the hardest piece, I think, yeah. is to hear that, is that I just don't want anybody to ever feel that way. Well, and I hope, you know, I, I actually, I hope this person comes back and listens to more shows because I, I think that the, you know, um, the, the culture of the ADHD podcast and the community is an assembled thing, right? And I think looking at a snapshot is unfair to the community at large. And just looking at one episode is, is kind of unfair to the podcast 
writ large. So become a subscriber, I hope. Listen to a couple of shows and see if the tapestry of what we're trying to create here uh, illuminates more of those messages. That's that's what I, I hope. So um, to anybody who felt in any way slighted by my comments on educators and the work that our educators are doing, please, please, please understand. I love you. And uh, especially now, like the risks that you take every day to just go to the classroom uh, is extraordinary. So thank you for everything. And um, please, no, we we we're behind you 100 percent. all right let us talk then to diane and elaine impactparents.com welcome ladies it's so nice to have you here it is so fabulous to be back with you just wonderful Wonderful. to see you it's been a while it has been been a a long time Yes. Well, we can't see anybody in person right now, so it's just nice to be virtual, you know. I know. It, it's true. It's so disheartening that the International Conference of ADHD is not going to be in person. It's so disappointing. It's chronic. We were pre- we were preparing our materials for the presentation and everything, and I said to Nikki, I said, you know, it's like all the work and none of the fun. Like, there's no... And it's the first time we're presenting. Is it really? Welcome. And That's so yes. exciting. <laughs> Thank you. We're very excited. So even though it's online, that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) We'll have to send you something in that virtual happy hour or something. We got to figure that part out, Elena, how to have virtual happy hours. Oh, we love virtual happy hours. Yeah. That's the best part of a conference, really. It's what happens in the hallways and in the bar, you know, that's that's where they actually. Mostly the bar. So true. So true. On the way to the bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have a 15-minute conversation with someone. Yeah. Oh, people accost you on the way to the bathroom. <laughs> That's <very> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are thrilled to have you here with us today. And uh, we are definitely going to be talking about this new book that Elaine has out uh, called The uh, Essential, the Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. And all I have to say is I wish you had written this book oh let's see about maybe 10 years ago yeah well i wish i had it about 20 years ago (laughs) right right well i know it's going to help a lot of people and i'm really excited about uh, i'm really excited uh, for us to talk about that um but to get us started i want to talk about the transition you guys changed your name recently you rebranded yourself tell us a little bit about that well, I, I've been saying to Diane, we didn't, we're not changing, we're expanding, right? Expanding, so I like that. For, for nine years now, we've been operating as Impact ADHD, and um, and we've been supporting parents of kids with all kinds of complex issues. And so as we were bringing out the, the new book, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, we really wanted to, our name to reflect the audience we support. Because it's it's way more, as we all know, most of us with ADHD, it's always more. I, I describe my family as a family of, of ADHD plus plus, right? <laughs> so, I love that. Um, <laughs> right? You know, anxiety, learning disabilities, depression, yeah, depends totally. on who you're talking to. So, um, so we, we expanded into Impact Parents as our kind of parent company. And then we'll, we still have Impact ADHD as this incredible, robust blog, a warm-witting blog. And then we've got now Impact Anxiety blog and the Impact Complex Kids blog. So we're, we wow. wanted to make it possible for people to self-select and to find themselves um, mm-hmm. in the resources we have available, but to really expand to, to speak to a broader audience. Well, and you guys know this. I mean, some people identify their kids as having ADHD. Some of them identify them as having attention issues or executive function issues, or I don't know what's going on with my kid, but they're just struggling in school mm-hmm. or at home. And so that's part of it is, again, Elaine just said that. It's, it's like making sure parents can see themselves in the community of people that we support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one of the things was happening over the years is people would say, well, my, my child doesn't have ADHD. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because right. if your kid is struggling with, with life or school, then mm-hmm. you need help figuring out how to help your kid manage better and not be struggling so much. And that's really what we're about. That's fantastic. When did you when did you make the the switch? So when we started and created the name Impact ADHD, I mean our our main we met at a international ADHD conference and we're talking specifically about the parents of kids with ADHD and you know the reality is kids with ADHD don't just have ADHD. What is it like 60 or 70% of them have other stuff going on. And 
again, it's sort of where are you in the diagnosis process? Where are you everywhere else? And so pretty quickly on, we started serving more, um, but left the moniker of impact ADHD until just recently when we finally realized, I think part of it was Elaine's book. We um, were like, okay, we're going to be out in a very different kind of public way. What do we, what do we want the name of the company to be as the book is being launched? And so we made that decision, stuck the you know, the line in the sand and said, okay, we're, we're making the name change. Actually, it was changed on the book months ago because we knew the book was coming out September 1st. So, but the website and everything changed. And then I had to rush around for everything done by September 1st. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So that's what we, that's what I wanted to be clear about because I felt like this is, this seems really new. Did I miss something important like in the ADHD, a planetary shift uh, months ago? I just was out of it because that would, not be entirely unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so something I want to be really clear about is that you're helping the parents. So your coaching services and different programs aren't necessarily for the, the student or the child or the teenager. It's really helping the parents on how to work with that teenager or child that has these complex issues. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. The reality is that even if your child is the one with the challenges, these kids need help to manage their ADHD or their executive function challenges that they have. And so part of recommended treatment, if you're talking to specifically about ADHD, part of recommended treatment for kids is to train the parents so that at, in the home, at the they call it the point of performance, the parent can help the child to change their behaviors. So generally speaking, we have two key audiences. We support parents and we support the professionals who are supporting those parents or those families. We do a little bit of coaching for teens um, when we're already supporting the parent, right? So when that parent is in our, our you know, ecosystem and getting the training and the coaching that we offer, then there are times where we may also make that available. We have somebody we contract with to make that available. But the primary focus is on parents and professionals. Well, and a lot of parents find that kind of scary because it's like, well, wait a second, not scary is the wrong word, but it's kind of odd because it's like, well, my kid's the one with a challenge. Why would you train me? But then other parents find it empowering because especially if you've got a teenager, your ability to influence your child's behavior is is very different. And so, you know, I can't tell you how many teenager, teenagers or even parents of young kids come to us and it's like, I can't get my kid to do what, what I want them to do or let alone what they want to do. And how do I get from where I am to, you know, a, a child who's more independent? And that's really what we focus on. It's not just about getting the homework done. It's about launching these kids successfully in several years because, you know, so many of us spend our time kind of micromanaging everything they do and kind of kick, dragging them, kicking and screaming through school or through life. And eventually we want them to be able to manage themselves. That That is that you know, I'm going to say something. It's going to sound like I'm making a joke, but I promise you I am not making a joke. You ask who has the challenges. It's my kid who has the challenges, not me. I'm the one with the challenges. My kid doesn't care at all. Right. Because it's your own. agenda. <laughs> yes. Right. 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 I like it. Well, wait a second. If your kid doesn't care, they don't have any That's challenges. exactly love- my point. That's exactly my point. Like so much of this is a stress that feels, and this is coming from somebody with, with ADHD and with a parent of, of ADHD kids. Like what we work on is sharing the load of just observing what the world looks like and what the frame is that school expects of you. And then like, how do we ride the line on that Venn diagram bef- between being a creative, open and beautiful spirit and also kind of delivering your homework on time? Like yeah. the, and and making and ensuring that like the challenges are actually opportunities to express that creativity and also keep let me sleep at night right like as dad and and those those two things i think are really important like i i i feel like the challenges is a is a tricky word but so apt especially 2020 right like we're dealing with so much new stuff well so here's what i think you're speaking to and in 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 our lexicon, right, what we've come to in the last few years, we're doing a lot more teaching on this particular area, is that there's kind of four phases that parents go through in that process of transferring ownership from us to our kids. A lot of parents get stuck in that first phase of directing and, you know, creating the motivation, telling them what to do. But as you begin to transfer ownership, you begin to share the agenda, and then it becomes theirs. 
their agenda and the goal is for their lives to become their agenda, not ours, right? We've got to transfer those gains, transfer the baton, whatever metaphor you want to use. And so you are so right on target because if they don't care, that means it's still my agenda. Are you never allowed to let that go? Yeah. <laughs> and so I've got to figure out how to help them. As this visual of, um, is it Sisyphus, the one that's pushing the, the rock up the hill? And it's like, as a parent, it's like if you're trying to get your child to do something that you want them to do, as opposed to inspiring them to figure out what they want to do and helping them accomplish that. I mean, just the the shift in the in the weight of that is enormous. We just went through this this very exercise. Why I think it's really resonant resonant for me. My daughter is going to college, and all through high school, she's never used, even though they're a Google kind of classroom, Google everything. Uh, she's never used the online calendar. Like she just hates the whole enterprise of technology, and does she's one of those. She doesn't care about email. She doesn't. I, if she if I Respect. didn't make her. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but she's going to a university and every teacher expects her to be able to navigate the wonderful world of calendar invitations and accepting study hour, uh, like open office hour sessions on the calendar. So we went through this process of like building her calendar online. And I'm trying so hard to like maintain my chill because to me, it's like I'm. I can't believe that I'm the digital native here, <laughs> right? <laughs> but That's but you funny. know, it's it is a it's it's an amazing thing. This whole idea of offloading that responsibility in an education context as a parent and feeling like you know what is what is the trick? What is the eh, trick? Is not a, is not a great word either. What's the it's a loaded term. Is what I would say. Yeah. It's, what is the process? It's about the process. Making sure and responsibility originates in the in the child. Right. Because we're because we're looking for the trick and there is no yeah, trick. there's no trick. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I love that. Not only are we looking for the trick, but most of us don't even realize that there's a step here. Right. It's a sort of we've been directing everything. We've been telling them what to do, helping them get it done. Well, this should go first. And we're you know kind of micro micromanaging. I've, I've got many years of micromanaging under my belt. But it's, um, we know how to do that. And then our kid at some point, whether it's 11 or 17, says, mom, no, 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 I got it. I got it. And, that, and we like wanted to say, let go. Fine. You're, you got it. And there's a long way from me owning 100% of it to you owning 100% of it. And I think people don't even realize that there's that process there between one and the other because the kid says, I want to have it. And the parent's like, well, I don't know how to deal with it. They said, no, I can't help them. The only way I know to help them is to micromanage them. And so that's really, that's the sweet spot is that dance between me owning everything and my kid. Uh, that is everything. a great observation because none of, no, there is nothing in this transference that is binary. There is nothing that is yes, no, good, bad, one, zero. Yeah. So I, I got to tell you, Pete, I remember the day with tears that my, my eldest child put something on the calendar for the first time. <laughs> um, I, I'm not kidding you. I really, this is a true story. So, so I need to oh my full God. disclose. If I could, I would hug you right now. <laughs> full disclosure. Wait, wait till you hear the context of it. Full disclosure. I'm calendar phobic. Okay. One of the ways that ADHD shows up for me is I have a really hard time with an online calendar. I use it. I manage it. I've got like 12 people on my calendar. My team is amazing at at not stressing me out with it, my family, like we're all connected as a family, like I understand the value of it. And it is very difficult for me to use as for whatever reason, my verbal, my visual processing, the way my ADD brain works, it's hard for me. It's not easy. And so I really hate to put anything on a calendar because I know I'm going to screw it up or do it wrong or whatever. I'm learning, right? So my daughter, my eldest child, is in California and I'm in Atlanta and they're 18 years old with the executive function of a P, right? And we are managing their life through this digital calendar between, you know, across the country. And it was very stressful and it was absolutely essential because they had auditions and school and all this stuff and we're trying to help them manage their life and the calendar is the key. And, and literally, we were putting everything on the calendar because they weren't ready to do it. And the first time they did, I cried and I called them and their response was, yeah, well, don't tell mom. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a process. It takes a while to learn this stuff. It's, it's not just because we think it's easy doesn't mean it is easy. Well, or just because it works for us doesn't mean it works for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's right. the other well, piece of it is like, 
you know, as I'm listening to you talk about your daughter, I'm thinking about my daughter who does not use her online account. I, I did it for her because I want to know what classes she's in when, but she's got this beautiful bullet journal where she keeps everything. And she spends, I don't know, two or three hours every week updating her bullet journal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why would you spend, you know, it's like, for me, that's just kind of wasted time, but she loves mm-hmm. it. And that's what she uses. And it, and it works for gets her. her to class on that. Yeah. Who cares? Well, right? that's a, I, I'm listening to you, Elaine, talk about like the, just the, tragedy of online calendaring and i'm i'm one of those where i do live in it and i i I, like my bias is always so pro calendar because my experience and the way my adhd works is if i take a single day where i don't look at the calendar then by this time next week it will be blank right because i i have to have the alarm in the morning that tells me look at your calendar and make sure every single minute is accounted for because if i don't if i let my hand off the wheel for a hot second then i my business starts to fall apart because i can't i can't keep track so, i will anyway. tell you my favorite thing of all the alerts and the notices and everything I, I get across my phone, my favorite thing is that rare Sunday or Saturday morning when I get a message that says, there is nothing on your Google Calendar today. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yes. right. You just won. You just won time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God. I need to set that up. That would it's be really, really nice. nice. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about the book that you just wrote, Elaine, uh, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. And as I said earlier, I wish I had this book <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, I do have a 15-year-old who has ADHD, but my son had anxiety growing up and still does. And uh, emotional regulation was such a, a, an issue in our house. And and uh, so before we, we go into the book, I'm curious to know what inspired you to, to write because it wasn't there when I needed it. I mean, this this book is designed, my biggest frustration early on in my coaching world was that I had spent a decade or more reading the best parenting books out there and trying to apply what they were telling me and it wasn't working. And it was so frustrating that that these the traditional parenting paradigms, some of it was helpful, but it wasn't helpful enough for my quirky kids. And so what I really wanted to do with this book was to create the traditional classic parenting book for those of us whose kids aren't classic, right? Or maybe they're, they are classic just in their own way, right? But, but I really wanted a general parenting book for, for complex kids so that those of us who are trying to sort of say, what do I do, will have a guide for the bigger picture, for the context, for getting our head around what is it to raise these complex kids so that it's not just, you know, try this star chart or that strategy, but it's, it's really understanding what we're dealing with here. The, the model that Diane and I teach at Impact is is based on sort of, it pulls from your traditional parenting stuff, like we do our positivity piece and all of that stuff and it's important. But what differentiates what we do in the coach approach is we, first of all, there's stuff about the brain. We talk about activating the brain and understanding what's going on in the brain. And we talk about shifting expectations and that's not lowering them, but shifting them, right? Allowing, inviting kids to meet their parents, to meet their kids where they are chronologically not, but developmentally, right? So it's not, I don't care how old you are. I care where are you developmentally and what do you need now? And so if we can help parents meet kids where they are and invite them to grow from there, that sets the stage for for success. Going back to our previous conversation, that sets the stage for us to transfer ownership, to foster independence, all of that. I got a question. Mm -hmm. You're you're looking so puzzled, Pete. (laughs) Puzzled. Welcome to, you know, Monday for me. Yes, that's my my resting puzzled face. Um, Look, I I have this question about milestones, right? Russ Barkley is going to be on the show and we've been prepping. And one of the things that that uh, is uh, particularly enticing to me is this idea of executive age versus biological age, right? It's this this sort of calculation that he's got this, you know, roughly 30 percent. You're 30 percent behind uh, anywhere you are. Take off 30 percent. That's where your emotional uh, sort of executive functioning age is. Um, we would add and- after 5 p.m. take off a little bit more. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And then, then yeah. after two drinks. OK, <laughs> right. so. Um, 
Actually, the other way around. Right. <laughs> That's better. That's right. Um, so the, the you know the the uh, operative example here is that you know a, a kid driving. If you take thirty percent off of a sixteen year old, he's like eleven or twelve. And would you want to put the keys to a car in a in a twelve year old's hands? Uh, so I'm curious your take on this idea of sort of operational or executive milestones, right? If if uh, if we're talking about so many of these sort of achievements on a case by case basis when you are able to kind of rationally hand over the keys, the metaphorical keys to the online calendar or the car, um, you know, how do you approach that with parents trying to navigate the complexity of their relationship with their children? I think the big thing is just what Elaine said earlier is this whole idea of meeting them where they are. And part of that is really being able to understand where they are. And so it, it takes a little bit of insight, a little bit of a lot of curiosity and maybe even experimentation, which when you're talking about car keys may not be the most fun thing in the world, but the good news <laughs> is that we do have driver's ed and we do have, you know, time where it's this sort of thing. I mean, I had, I had two boys, both with executive function issues. Neither of them were ready to drive. And fortunately, neither of them wanted to drive. They were, you know, I think it might've scared them as much as it scared me to give hand over the keys. But what you're talking about, Pete, is this idea of really kind of getting clear on what they can and being willing to try that same continuum from me being in charge to them being in charge. You want to try to let go of the reins a little bit, not just let go of them completely, but really say, well, what can my child self-manage? Where where do they need help? We talk that concept of scaffolding, stepping in in those areas where the kids have a hard time. But you've got to know what they can do before you can scaffold. So here here's the story. Let me just follow up. I think it's I think the story's in the book actually. Um, so my eldest, again, very quirky, complex kid with with extremely delayed executive function skills, um, overheard me in the kitchen talking to a friend about executive function issues for his younger brother and trying to explain ADHD to his younger, to him because he was frustrated by his younger brother. And Bex is overhearing it from the other room, comes into the kitchen, Bex is 17 at the time and says, so mom, are you telling me I'm not a really immature 17 year old? I'm actually a really mature 12 year old. <laughs> It's <laughs> like, you know, when you look yeah. at it that way, you could. And, and But I will tell you, it was a game changer for them. It was like they gave themselves permission to not beat themselves up for yeah. what they couldn't right. do yet and allowed themselves to say, okay, I haven't grown into that yet. I haven't matured into that, but I will. And that was kind of pretty cool. That is, because I have a 15-year-old and I know the whole reason we started the diagnosis process is she came down the stairs saying, Mom, I think I have ADHD. And I'm like, really? Why? Well, of course, she's around it a lot because of me. And she hears me talking about it and everything. But she actually took a test to see online if she had it or not. And But one of the things that made her take that test is she realized that what was taking her two hours to do in a homework assignment was only taking 20 minutes for one of her friends. Yeah. And that was something that she immediately knew, okay, something's not quite right. And uh, so it is, I like how you're saying it almost, it does give them that opportunity to look at this in a different way, that it's not that you have to do it the way that your friend did it, that, you know, it's okay to do it a little bit differently. You'll get there when you get there. And just, I don't know, it's a lot more compassionate than this is what we need to expect. You know, kind and of the thing. thing I love about what you're describing, Nikki, is that, you know, in that same instance, a kid who's not growing up in a household where there's conversations about ADHD and brains working at different paces and things like that, a kid's going to create a story about what's going on with them. If they're struggling in school, if they find out that their friend only took two hours, or they took two hours to do something their friend did in 20 minutes, they're going to create a story about what that means, whether it's I'm lazy, I'm stupid, I can't do it. Um, and so having that construct of being able to say, yeah, your brain doesn't work the same way as everybody else's does, really. You know, that was, and I don't know how old you were when you were diagnosed, Nikki, but I was over 40. And um, and I was only diagnosed because my kids all kind of one by one like dominoes, you know, everybody's getting diagnosed in the house. It's like, hmm, it can't just be his neurology here. You know, there's just, there's just right. too much going on. Um but part of part of the reason that I do this work and that Diane and I do this work is not just to support parents because we think that there's this huge need. There's lots of stuff out there for the kids, but not a lot out there for the parents. There, there certainly wasn't when we started. 
Um, but it's also because I don't want kids to grow up feeling like I felt, right? Like I had to work so hard and everybody kept telling me I was smart, but I didn't believe it because everything was so hard for me. And I had to, and, you know, between the ADHD and the anxiety and the, and the learning disabilities, none of which I knew about. I mean, I did pretty well with it, but it came at a pretty heavy cost. And that's really what I want is for parents to understand their kids so that they can empower their kids to play to their strengths and see what they're capable of instead of growing up with this story. I mean, what Diane and I always say is if you don't tell a kid what is going on, what they're going to make up is that they're lazy, crazy, or stupid. One thing I did want to, to ask you about, because this is something that I felt so much pressure around, and I'm assuming that probably a lot of people do too. And this is with my ADHD daughter and with my son who has anxiety is what are the right consequences? Like, you know, so especially when my son was younger and he would get in a lot of trouble. Uh, and I always had this pressure of what my mother would do, what my mother-in-law would do, what my sister would do. There was always pressure around the family, not so much friends, but really around the family of, Oh, you should put him in timeout. Well, you know what? Timeout doesn't work because he gets out of his chair and follows me around. Well, you should ignore him. Nope, doesn't work either because he's like, mama, mama, mama. <laughs> and so all of these like traditional things didn't work. And it was always really frustrating because I just throw my hands in the air and I'd be like, I don't know what to do. And we would go to therapy. And, you know, first time I read that book, um, Oh, the speaker was at the the conference just last year about control. I can't control your child, but I can influence yeah. them. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I read that book, and I'm like, such good information. But of course, when you're in the moment, you forget, and emotions are raising high. I know I'm not the only person that feels this way. Any guidance of how to wrap your head around that? you know, that process, those feelings. So, so I hear, I hear two things in what you're saying and, and Diana, I want to hear what, what your, what your thoughts on it, but the, I want to set the stage because I hear two things. One is how do you apply this stuff in that moment, right? When you're, when you're in the stress of life, when you're trying to navigate, and this is a conversation I think we have with our, with our um, clients a lot and with our community a lot, because we're, what we are all about is how do you, Sure, there's all this information you know, but what do you do with it? How do you apply it in that moment? So that's one thing I hear you saying. And then the other is how do you apply consequences when there is a lot of anxiety in particular at play? So um, so I wanna address that and then Diane, I'll turn it over to you, see what, see what you add. So what I would say is the best consequences, particularly with anxiety, are the ones that are negotiated or collaborated in advance and clearly articulated. The most important thing about a consequence is that we want to stay on our kids' team. So if we establish in an advance, they know what the consequence is going to be, then the system is the bad guy and you get to stay on their team. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I know that's really disappointing to you that you have to lose this or you have to get that because, because they've already agreed to it in advance. It's when we try to come in afterwards, and there's a section of the book that we talk about, are you making consequences that are really punishments? Because I think a lot of times we think we're doing consequences, but they're really punishments because we haven't, it hasn't been clear in advance. A consequence is a consequence because you know it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. It's an if, it's an if then statement. Right. Right, right, right. It's not a surprise. Exactly. And so if it's a surprise, then it's actually a punishment. But you try to disguise it in this language, but it's not really effective that way. Yeah, I was going to say the thing I would add to that is that there's a couple of reasons to put consequence, or, you know, consequences in place. One is to send a message that the behavior is not okay, and then the other is to help the child change the behavior. And I think that that's where we get stuck when we've got these complex kids is that we want the consequence to do both of those things. So if you tell a child, you know, you're going to lose X, you know, this is our agreement. If you do this, then this will happen. And they continue to, to do it over and over again. It doesn't mean that the consequence isn't right. It just means that the child needs more than a consequence in order yeah. to change the behavior. And so I think that that's the piece of it. The consequence itself is not going to change the behavior. It doesn't mean the consequence is inappropriate. You want to make sure the child, you know, you're reinforcing the fact that this is, this is, this behavior is not okay. This isn't in line with our family values. I have a lot of parents who use consequences over um, kids getting physical or 
kids saying, you know, using harsh language with their parents. I mean, you still want to say, no, you can't call mommy a poo-poo head. And your child needs help to stop calling you a poo-poo head. They aren't going to just do it because of the consequence, because even that cause and effect requires working memory that a lot of these kids just don't have. Can I just quick story? I'm remembering a friend's kid who the son smacked his sister and then went and put himself out in the time in the timeout. <laughs> Right. He knew exactly what the consequence was. And just demonstrating your point. Go ahead. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other piece of it, it, and there's kind of two sides to it, is is your own mindset. I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a parent I put a what I thought was consequence in place from a triggered place. And the reality that that's not that's not the way to do it. I mean, I'm angry, so I'm going to punish you. You know, I'm angry, so you get the, I can't handle, I'm at the end of my rope, I can no longer handle this. And so I'm going to put a consequence in place. And that's really not a healthy dynamic to create in the family. You really want these kids to understand what are the boundaries? What are the agreements that we're making? And how, and, and again, how, how can you help me? Um, so just kind of keeping a track, a, a check on your own trigger as you're managing with consequences and rewards the same. Um, to watch yourself. Yeah, so important. It is. So important. And I was lucky because my husband and I were able to kind of bounce off of each other. Like when I knew he was sort of at the end, I could jump in and, you know, we could, yeah, exactly. Um, But it is, I think that, and I know, Elaine, you talk about this too, this mindset, the shift of how you want to talk to your how you talk with your kids, not to them, but with them really in this collaborative. In fact, I want to talk to you about that, this collaborative kind of solution solving. Um, it, it, especially as kids are older, I think I would think that they would appreciate that so much more. I know my son does at he's 18 now. And, and, uh, that comes with things too. I'm 18. I'm an adult. Yeah, but you still live here. So, and you're still a senior in high school. So, but we're also learning to let go as you were talking about earlier and giving them a lot more freedom. Um, But yeah, talk, please tell us about this collaborative effort. So our, our whole model is, is based, is a collaborative problem solving model, right? Everything we do, because what we teach is basically the coach approach to parenting. So it's all pulls from the world of coaching. It's, you know, you take aim on a problem, you get on, you understand it, you you plan, you take action, you try again. Um, And so, so we, what we've learned over the years is how important it is to focus, as we were talking about earlier, on the process instead of the outcome that it's really about bringing kids into the process of learning to problem solve for themselves. That's what's going to prepare them for adulthood better than anything else, is to continuously keep asking them questions that guide them to be with you, collaborating with you at first, and then ultimately doing it on their own while you're supporting them to begin to make their own decisions. And yes, at 18, they're still living on their own. And yes, at 18, they're also adults and you know, so we have to navigate that dance with them um, and empower them to know that we see them as capable decision makers and that we're supporting them in that process um, instead of like, instead of the either you do it or I do it, right? We've got to be in there with them, cheering them on and encouraging them and asking questions. I think probably the biggest tool, the biggest shift for us as, as parents is if we can learn to ask questions like, so what do you think or what, do you, what are you planning to do or how do you think you might handle that instead of, well, you need to do this. Oh my gosh, that makes such a big difference. It does. And, I, and I'm listening to, I'm just like, I can hear all the, all the naysayers, it's the wrong word, but all the parents that are listening to us right now, it's like, every time I ask my kid, what do they think? They say, I don't know. Well, that's, fine. that's an indication. That's fine. And that's part of the process. It doesn't mean you should jump in with your idea. A lot of times we, these kids have created a dynamic where they wait for us because they know how opinionated we are and they doesn't matter. <laughs> Ultimately, they think, well, it won't matter what I say because mom's got an idea of what I should do anyway. Because it's still or, our agenda. Right. It's still our agenda, right? It's this sort of, how are you going to get this thing done that I want you to do? Well, I don't care about this thing you want, mom. Um, Part of it, again, though, is um, their readiness to be able to to make those decisions. And, And a lot of these kids are overwhelmed by their own life, right? They've spent a lot of time screwing things up, having to rely on adults in their lives. And so when we hold them to, hey, well, what do you think? You know, they're 
a lot of them are afraid to make, you know, make ideas and create, you know, create suggestions because what if it fails and here's one more thing and, you know, that sort of thing. And so part of this in, in collaboration is creating this change in dynamic around failure and around experimentation and kind of keeping in a space of what do you want to try instead of what do you want to do? Because the minute I say, well, what do you want to do? It makes it sound like, okay, you got to figure out the answer. You got to get it right the first time. And if you don't, we're going to do it my way because that's just the way we're handling it. Well, and here's what I would add to that is, is I'm a big proponent. We're both big proponents in, in asking for permission, right? So asking, so if, if they say, I don't know, because parents are always frustrated by, I don't know, right? If, if the kid's answer to whatever the question is, is I don't know, it's like, okay, that totally get that. I have some thoughts. Would you like to hear them? And just that permission, it's kind of like knocking on a door and waiting for someone to answer before you barge in. If you ask for permission to give them thought or advice or counsel instead of just giving it to them, I know you think that you're the adult and they're the kid and they should just listen to you. But the truth is, if you actually want them to build that trust to listen to you, then you'll ask for their buy-in to it. And if you say, I've got some thoughts, do you want to hear it? And they say yes, now you have their agency. They, you have their permission to share what you want to share. Otherwise, you're just bossing them around. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had had this conversation on Saturday say and last not week. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, because we had this whole conversation about starting school and did they have what they needed and mom, we've got it taken care of. We've got it taken care of. And finally, I was like, okay, okay. I'm going to trust that you have it taken care of. If you need our help, you let us know. Great. So far, everything's going okay. So. <laughs> well, here, here's what I will tell you is that one of the best bits of feedback on this new book, I've gotten some great, amazing feedback, but one of them is parents are now using it. And Diane and I are seeing this shift in our practice. Um, more and more parents of kids in their 20s and 30s. So it's yes, if you've got a, a five-year-old or a 10-year-old, it will it can help you avoid some of these problems that are happening to the parents of kids in their 20s and 30s. But if your kids are older, it's never too late to to learn this approach and change your approach to how you're communicating with them. There's it's never too late to empower them to take ownership of their lives. In fact, it's probably more pressing, you know, at 25 and 30 than it even is at, at 10 and 15. Well, and I see that parents of, of older kids, they want to be able to move into a role of supporter, but because they had, they were never collaborating with their kids, they were only telling them what to do. The, the child's like, no, I'm, I got this, or whether they do or not, they just, they don't want anything to do with it. So you have to go back and rebuild that trust, rebuild the relationship. And that's hard to do when your child sees themselves as an independent mm -hmm, adult. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think it, you know, I do think about what's my relationship going to be when they're adult children. And uh, I don't want to be in that role. That's not the role I want to be in when, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s. And so it's nice to, to hear you say that. And I've got to tell you guys, I think this is one of the best parenting books I've read, really. It is so good. And I love, I love that you don't just talk about the issues. Like you're not just talking about the challenge. Here are the executive functions. Okay, we get that. We know what the challenges are. But you're also really giving support. You're giving us the words. You're giving us the the uh, the action to take. And it's not, it doesn't feel like it's a one size fits all because it's a coaching approach. And the other thing I really love about what you guys do in this book, uh, because it really engages the reader, is those self-discovery questions at the end of each chapter. Because now I have to actually answer these questions, you know, with my own family, my own ideas, my own thoughts. Now I'm engaged in the material of how am I going to take what they said and be able to put that into my family. And uh, it's great. I love it. And uh, Elaine, you did a great job. And Impact Parents and ADHD is fantastic. And I'm so glad you guys are a resource because really, man, I can't tell you how many times I've just did, I was in despair. I didn't know what to do because it was just so frustrating. And you feel so alone because you don't feel like anybody else gets it. Like we're the only ones that are dealing with, you know, this situation. And it's almost like a secret. You almost don't want to tell people about it because you don't want somebody to think different about your son or your daughter. And uh, so anyway, you guys are a blessing. And I'm really um, so glad you guys came on the show to, to talk about what you do. Thank you. I really appreciate it that acknowledgement very much. 
absolutely so deeply earned. Where would you like to like? I, we've got all the changes in in everything. So, give us just a brief on where people, where you would like people to go first to learn most about all of the work that you're doing right now. Diane, you got an idea? <laughs> <laughs> the best place to find us is InsideParents.com, and there's all, we have um, both free free resources as well as um, fee-based services. And I, and I want to go back, Nikki, just for a second to what you were saying before, which is parents, there's so much information out there, right? And, and parents come to us and they're like, yeah, but does it apply to my kid? My kid is seven with emotion issues. My kid is 27 with whatever issues, right? It's a sort of, it's kind of unbelievable to anybody that our approach can apply to all of those situations, but it's really designed that way. It's not just Here's, here's what you do when this happens. It's not a series of solutions because that's really not what parents need. And it's not just information. And I think that that's the important piece of it. There's so much out there. And, and I don't know about you, but parents are listening to podcasts and reading articles and everything else. And they really get stuck with the execution piece of it. It's that sort of how do I actually put it into practice because I've got all these great ideas and I get stuck. And so that's really what we're all about is helping parents take the information and put it into action. And the best place to find us is at impactparents.com. Um, start with our newsletter, our mailing list. We've got a lot of free resources and things on our website. Can I, can I just add one more thing to that, if that's okay? Because you were talking about the questions at the end of every chapter. And the other thing that, that we did in this book that I'm really proud of that we haven't really talked about much is there's a discussion group guide at the end, at the back yes, of the book. Yes, I saw that. So that parents can be in discussion, whether it's PTA groups or teachers groups or whomever, the parents, the, the goal isn't to just read it, right? The goal is to mm -hmm. use it and integrate it. And, and this method really does allow you to begin to use it in those moments when you're having a conversation. Like I had a, a client texted me this morning and she's like, oh my God, I applied what this and from this chapter and it worked, <laughs> you know, like it's really about usability. And, and so as I think the message I want to leave parents with is yes, impactparents.com is an amazing like amount of resource for you. And, and I do hope you'll check out the book because I think it's, it's the book I needed. Um, and mostly what Diane was saying is, is that you're not alone in this, right? You're, you're in this community, you know you're not alone in this, and you can do this, and it's not rocket science. Like, it just takes a little bit of tweaking, and a little bit of nuance, and a little bit of changing, and, and collaborating, and it's really amazing how, how open these kids will be to, to your approach to empowering them. Well, and don't, and give yourself permission and not feel like you have to do it you have to be able to do it alone, right? It's this sort of, I, parenting was hard, period. And parenting with a complex kid is even more challenging. And so we, you know, give yourself permission to get some help. I mean, we're trying so hard to help our kids. And then we sit here and go, oh, I shouldn't need help to parent. And that's, I mean, that's not a good role model for one thing. Number two, it's, it's not realistic for most of us. Not at all. Well, we deeply Great. appreciate your time and uh, your participation here. It's so good to see you guys and uh, wish we could see you in person at the conference this year, but alas, another year. Uh, and uh, and so, there will be another year. I'm holding yeah. positive. There yes. will be. Sure. Oh, there will be. Yes. Yeah. Beard yes. a little longer, but there will be another opportunity. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We deeply appreciate your time and your attention. On behalf of Diane Dempster and Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll see you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.